You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Listen, we're in week three of a series called It's Complicated. And we've been talking about issues that our culture loves things that are simple, clear, easy, uncomplicated. But there are issues in life that demand a grace, a humility, and even a thoughtfulness in order to understand it into maybe even experience the gift of truth. Truth is amazing. The Bible says something powerful that what truth does in our life. Truth sets people free. Free. Truth is what unlocks us from mindsets that are broken, that lead to brokenness. Uh, Truth unlocks us from pathways of sin and destructiveness. Truth is amazing. It sets us free, and armed with enough grace and humility, we can find truth. And we've been doing that. And two weeks ago, we talked about being single and human sexuality with our speaker, Sam Albury. And then last week, fixing our world and our Global Focus Weekend with Adrian Thomas and Matt Jaynes. We've been exploring these complicated issues, seeing what the Bible says, so we can find truth that sets us free. Now, let me ask you a question here, just to start off. How many would like to live a long life? (laughs) Note those who don't have their hands up. Interesting. And how many would like that long life to go well? Oh, okay, so... 100% almost want life to go well. We're a little iffy on the length of our life, but, but we want life to go well. Well, listen, I've got some great truth for you today. Great truth. You see, I want to talk about something that's very, very complicated. In fact, it demands a lot of our energies to manage in life, and it's making our family work. Family is complicated. Family's complicated for many reasons. Uh, You know, families are complicated because they come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? That's why it's unfair to compare your family with another family. Have you ever done that? Of course you have. We all do it. Be very careful when doing it, though, because no two families are alike. They all start differently. Some have advantages. Some have disadvantages. There are all kinds of things that shape who we are as family. It's like the the boy who went to his dad and said, where do human beings come from? And he said, well, Adam and Eve, they had a baby and, and their babies grew up and they had more babies and so on and so on. And he said, okay. And he went and he asked his mom. He said, mom, where do babies come from? And she said, well, uh, we come from monkeys. We are monkeys and we evolved into human beings. And the boy is disturbed and he runs back to his dad and he said, you lied to me. He said, I didn't lie to you. Your mother's talking about her side of the family. (laughs) Families get complicated. People marry into families. The family dynamic changes. And here's what happens between siblings, between in-laws and outlaws and everything in between. What happens is misunderstandings happen. And our relationships, and here's what the interesting thing about families. You can choose your friends but you don't choose your family, right? And what happens with families is misunderstandings tend to to hang around for a long time. You ever notice that? And even in family dynamics, now your family's probably not like this, but occasionally in families, there's somebody who is controlling. I had a big amen Saturday night for someone, amen? (laughs) I thought, hmm, wonder who's sitting next to them. 
There's always some family member that's trying to be controlling and everything, and it complicates things. There's misunderstandings, they're controlling. Here's something I know is true of even the most healthy of families. There's expectations. Every relationship is loaded with expectations. Some of them are spoken. Many of them are unspoken, aren't they? I mean, Shelly and I have gone on vacation back, and Shelly's my wife. We've gone to vacation back where we're from in New Brunswick, and when we go back there, there is an unspoken expectation we've learned the hard way. That when you go and visit, you're supposed to visit every living relative that you have there, even if you don't know them. You were in town and you didn't visit, and the misunderstanding turns into offense, turns into... Families are complicated. But what I'm going to zero in on is making the most complicated and most precious relationship work really well. And that's the relationship between a parent and a child. It is critical and it's difficult. Here's why. There's like a dance in scripture that it talks about making a relationship work between a parent and a child throughout all their age. And often, it gets short-circuited by something called anger. And I'm going to show you how that happens in a moment when we turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. But here's what happens. Do you remember when you were born? You were there. We were all born with high needs. Every one of us was born needy. Can you turn to someone next to you and say, I'm needy. We were born with extreme needs. On a scale of 1 to 10, we were born 10 in needs. You needed someone to protect you. You needed someone to care for you. You needed someone to feed you. You needed someone to change you. You needed someone to love you. We were all born very needy. Now, in order to meet those needs, parents had to be controlling. They have to control the environment that we're in. So on a scale of 1 to 10, they controlled at a level 10. Why? Well, because they had to control who had access to you. They had to control your environment in order to protect you. They controlled what you wore. They controlled what you ate. They controlled when you ate. They controlled how you sleep, right? Parent now, some of us are a little older. Do you remember those stages, parents? Do you remember the sleeplessness? Do you remember that haze that was just over your... Some of you in this back corner are living that life right now. And we would say to you, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. But we're born needy and parents need to be controlling in order to provide for those needs. If they didn't exert control, they wouldn't be able to meet those needs. Now, here's how the Bible says things should happen and maybe things we know, intuitively we know anyways. As our dependency on our parents to meet our needs lowers, because over time we learn to meet our own needs, we learn to take care of ourselves, as they lower, theoretically, so should our parents control. Theoretically. <laughs> theoretically, the less needy we are, the less controlling our parents are. Theoretically. And the amazing thing about the dance is it doesn't end there. Over time, our parents, who have low needs of us here and they're low control, over time, though, their needs begin to increase. And so do the kids' control. 
And this is what I call a delicate dance. But see, there are two phases in life that are difficult, and this is where a lot of relationships between parents and the children really come unglued. It's right here in adolescence. There is something about that age where we feel very independent and we do not want to be controlled. Teenagers, young adults, we don't want to be controlled. Why? Because we know everything. Everything, you know, when I was a teenager, I knew more than my dad, right? Now that I'm this age, I realize not so much, right? Here's the thing, though. We want to exert and come out from underneath control here, prematurely at times. And when we get to this stage in life, when somebody says, maybe, Mom, you shouldn't be driving, or maybe it's time to sell. It's very difficult. It's very hard to navigate. Why? Because it turns out nobody likes to be controlled, depending on the phase of life we're in. Here's the interesting thing. The Bible helps us navigate this. Ephesians chapter 6, you there? Paul writes to the, a church in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, and he writes and he talks about families, and parents and children in particular in the passage we're going to look at. But every time Paul talks about family, whether it's married people, single people, whether it's about children or parents, he always talked to the whole church family about it so we'd all understand it. Now, I know this to be true before we start this message. I know this to be true. Not everyone is a parent in this room, and not everyone will be. I get that. But understanding what the Bible says about parenting is so helpful to you in understanding who God is, but also understanding who your parents are. And then, but I do know this true of everyone in this room, we're all children. We're all children. And the Bible has something to say that we can find a long life and a good one. Here's what he starts out. He says this. Now, remember, this was originally written in the Greek language, and that's going to be helpful on a couple of occasions. Paul starts out by saying in verse 1, he says, children. Now, what type of children is is he talking about here? He's talking about non-adult children. Non-adult children. It never commands adult children to obey their parents, but it does command non-adult children, young children, to... Do you know what this word in Greek means, kids? Obey? It means obey. (laughs) Sorry, there's no loophole around that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Everything's connected to our relationship with God. In the Lord, for this is, can you say it with me? This is right. You're going to hear this over and over. How many know that the right things aren't always the easy things? You're going to see that more. Some of you are like enthusiastically because you're the parent and there's the child, but things are going to be flipped in just a moment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. goes on to say this. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. This is the fourth command in the Ten Commandments given in the book of Exodus that Paul is quoting. And it's the first promise with or the first commandment with a promise attached so honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with the promise what's the promise so that it might go well with you well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth see i think it's very interesting when i ask for the survey of long life but this is enjoy that it may go well with you And then he goes on to say this pivotal verse in verse 4. He says this, Fathers, mothers, 
Do not exasperate. Do not provoke to anger is another translation. Your children, instead, very important word we'll come back to, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is really important passage of scripture for every one of us in this room. Paul would teach, as the Bible would express, that next to honoring God is honoring your parents. It's a very interesting. I'm, I've been in a covenant relationship with one woman for 25 years this summer. And it is the most essential relationship in my life. But the most formative relationship in my life was definitely with my parents. See, you can credit them for the good. You know, if I was broken though before I came. You know, those are the most formational relationships. And honoring our parents is foundational. So we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the fact that children should give their parents what? With a little more enthusiasm. Honor. Okay. Number two, that parents should give their children training and instruction. And we're going to explore what that actually means. But before we jump into it, let me talk to you about who Paul is talking to. Because understanding what the family should look like is really critical to understanding his words here in Ephesians chapter 6. There are three types of family that are exist in the world today. And the first one is a traditional family. And Paul would have been teaching or talking to a traditional family narrative. In the traditional family, it was authoritative. It was a family narrative that was built on authority. And the ultimate authority was the father. And in Paul's culture, the father had enough authority to even kill his own children. It was brutal. It was unbiblical authority, very unbiblical authority. But it was an authoritarian makeup. And a lot of people hearken back to that, but the Bible has a much better alternative to it. But see, that all began to shift. In, you like history? Goody. Eight, 1716 to 1820 was the Industrial Revolution, and the way the family run completely changed. Before that, mom and dad worked together with the children right with them. If there are farmers, they worked in the field together. If they were shoemakers, they built, they built shoes. <laughs> they made shoes together. They did everything together. They raised their children together. The responsibility only became divided with the Industrial Revolution when factories were established, and all of a sudden, dad had to leave the home to go and make money, and the mother would raise the children. There became a division of labor that is, doesn't exist in the Bible. It was outside influences in the Industrial Revolution. The way the Bible intended it was, every time it talks to parents, it never singles out moms as being the only one. There's an assumption that mom and dad are in this together. They both bear the responsibility of child rearing and nurturing. But see, that fractured us in the 1760s, the 1820s. It created a remoteness where the dad was distant, either less involved or unable to nurture. And to this day, we pay for that. Listen, I, you know, men, men find it difficult to be nurturing at times because they weren't nurtured. Or maybe they were nurtured by their mom but not their father. The Industrial Revolution began to separate these, but they were meant to be together. In this together, child rearing and nurturing their children as one. Then the modern family came on the scene. And this is the early 1970s. 
uh, there's a group called that. You can read this. It's fascinating. The Carnegie Foundation did a massive study on the family. And you know what they concluded in North America? They concluded that parents were not qualified to raise their own children. It was too complicated. So what they suggested is you provide emotional support for your children and let the experts at school and other institutions raise them. And you'll notice there's a divergency in curriculum at that time. And listen, I'm not making a narrative on where we are today. I'm just saying what the facts were at the time where schools began to get more involved in sexuality and health and all kinds of things because you couldn't trust the parents to equip their children that way. So the modern family says, just support your kids. The traditional family says, uh, control your kids. But the biblical family and what Paul teaches here is that we are actually, parents are to see themselves as teachers first. Teachers. The parents are teachers and they need an element of authority in order to teach their children the difference between right and wrong, what is valuable to do in life and what is not worthwhile to do in life. Parents use their authority to raise children up, to raise them up. So in order that one day they can come out from under the parent's authority. See, the only authority the Bible recognizes is what, called, what would be called servant authority. This is what made Jesus so controversial. Because wherever he went, he elevated people. He didn't have power over them. He, made, he, he elevated women. He elevated the status of the marginalized. Wherever he went, he elevated people. He gave his authority away. It was pretty incredible. It's servant authority. And so parents are to raise children up in this critical freedom so that they are no longer dependent on the parents. It's very interesting. To get the child up and out, to get them where they can make their own decisions. But it's very hard when we see in verse 4 of chapter 6 in Ephesians, when we exasperate our children. You know, exasperate or provoke them to anger. What happens in the course of the dance sometimes is over time, anger begins to fuel the relationship between parents and children. Often, children are always conflicted about this. They feel guilty about even thinking that. But they love their parents, but there is this anger narrative underneath, or this fuel that feels a little bit like resistant, and the reason is because the dance maybe hasn't gone so well. Maybe the parents were not able to provide something. Maybe the children were not able to come under something. But he says, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them. And he goes on to say, but bring them up. Instead, meaning, if you don't do this, they will get angry. There will be a subtext of anger in the relationship. Instead, bring them up in the training. Now, this word is really neat. So I mentioned that this is written originally in Greek, translated in English. That word training means discipline. The word discipline there means punish. Hold them accountable. Hold their feet to the fire. Parents are supposed to train them up and instruct them, which means counsel them. Counsel them. Come alongside. Fill in the blocks. Tell them why you're disciplining them. Tell them what life is like. Begin to counsel them. See, lots of people are raising kids. Not everyone is raising them up. 
Not, there are plenty of parents who raise their kids to remain dependent on them. And you know why they do that? Because they need it. Parents, some of us, friends, be careful if you're a parent. Our woundedness can make us try to keep our kids very close to us. Why? Because we need it. Be very careful. That's not in the job description. Actually, we're disobeying what the Bible says if we do that. Some parents, though, aren't involved enough. And they leave their kids almost to raise themselves in many ways. Maybe because they're, they have too many conflicts in their own life. Maybe they're too messed up. Maybe they have problems. Maybe there's conflict between somebody else in the home and it distracts them from teaching their children the difference between right and wrong. Some of us as parents, we can be undisciplined. We can be lazy. We can be troubled. All of those things can be there. But listen, friends, whether or not from the beginning you've been on your own or somebody has kept you under control. Whether you've been over-disciplined or under-disciplined, because that's how you provoke a child to anger. Some, and listen, this is probably gonna be personality-driven in many ways. You can provoke a child to anger if you over-discipline them. You're on them all the time. You can't let something go by. And, and there's another word for it, that's translated sometimes, it's called, what is that, nagging? What is that, what's that word? Nagging, yeah. If you're on them all the time, you'll provoke them to anger if you over-discipline. And if you under-discipline, you'll provoke them to anger. And that's where, you know, have you ever met parents like this? They're always trying to reason with their kids. You know, like, they throw a big fit and they throw the, they smash the plate on the floor and they're going like, no, no, Johnny, what did you feel in this moment? <laughs> you know, how can we help you get in touch with you? Whoa, 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 training moment, discipline moment. And two, both extremes lead to provoking them or exasperating to anger. Now, the amazing thing about the scripture is that it's both preventative and prescriptive. In other words, if you're still raising kids, make sure you take notes in just a moment because this is really important that you do it preventatively. But even if you've already raised kids, this is really important because it's prescriptive. It can actually heal relationships when we understand the rhythm of how it works biblically. So here's an interesting thing. I love how a Christian psychologist took Paul's teaching and they talked about the various phases of parenting. And I think you'll get this. The first phase is called the discipline years, zero to five. This is the phase where you teach children the difference between right and wrong and that there are consequences to their, their behavior. You might be the type of person that loves these stages because you just want to cuddle those little kids. And they are cute. But remember, they're little monsters. And you got to discipline them too at the same time. Zero to five. Now, don't come to me after and think, I, I love kids. So I'm just joking, sort of. Zero to five years old. It's really important that you're teaching them what is right and what is wrong and that there are consequences to their behavior. But it's important you don't stay in that phase. If you do, you will drive your children away. You need to move to the next phase. From 5 to 12 are the training years. This is the years where you're helping them understand why you have rules in your home. Why it's important not to go there. Why it's important not to be doing this. A lot of parents struggle with this phase. They like the training phase. Or go back to the discipline phase. Because what they love about that phase is, you know, because when they ask, why, mommy? You say, because I... Yeah, it's just easier, isn't it, parents? 
Don't you wish? It's just easier. But in the next phase, you're counseling them. You're beginning to instruct them. You're training them. So it's important they understand the why. Why is this not something I should be participating in? Why is church a priority in our life? Why is the, does this matter? These are the training years, critically important. Then we come into my favorite years, which are the coaching years. And the coaching years are difficult for many people. And I'll tell you why. If you were the primary caregiver in the first two phases, it's very difficult from being the one that's corrective and now changing your role to be a coach. And a coach is someone that is watching them make some of their own decisions. Doesn't mean you don't correct them at this stage. Do you remember when you were 12 to 18? Uh-huh. You need some correction at that stage, but the parental focus is less on correction and more on connection in this phase. It's how do I connect well, not correct well. Doesn't mean you don't have correction, but even in your correction, you're trying to maintain connection. Why? Because there's another phase coming, and it's critical you do this one right. This is a hard phase when you've been the one doing the training and the discipline. There's a lot of parents who their, their children are adults now, and they're still back in phase one and two. And they wonder why the kids don't want to come around as much. It's it really quiet at this point. <laughs> because they never made it into phase three, coaching. You're coming alongside of, you're cheering them on, you are having some corrective things, you're giving them advice, you're helping to steer them. It's critical, these are important years, but you're really focused on connecting to your children. And that lends to the next phase, which is the friendship years. And this is where your children are becoming adults and you're practicing doing life together. A lot of parents, this is a really hard phase to get to. I'll, I'll be very transparent with you. This is a hard phase for me. I mean, I like the coaching phase a lot. Shelly excelled in the discipline and training phases because she was around them more. And I know this, it was hard for Shelly to move into the coaching phases because it sounded a little bit like nagging at times because she had been so on top of them for so long. And this one's hard because... Uh, because I, I know what's best for them. They're not consulting with me like they used to as much as they should. This is a critical phase, though, for this dance. Listen, if in this phase you're focused on connecting with your child, not correcting them, they're going to be far more open to your leadership in their life through adolescence and young adults. It's important you recognize what phase your children are in and that you're fueling it with the right stuff. Now, in this phase, if you're deep friendship with your parents and you're doing life together, they're going to trust you when you're having hard conversations that you're not just trying to control them or get something. They're going to trust you more. It's important we do these things well in our lives. Okay, enough about parenting, because I want to talk to all the kids in the house, and every one of us is a child. Every one of us is a child. What did the Bible say that was our role? If parents are to train and instruct their children, children are to 
Honor. <laughs> honor them. They're to honor them. Now, what's interesting, think back to the Ten Commandments. Isn't it interesting what God says to obey, or, or God says that we're to keep these commands? He doesn't command us in the Ten Commandments to obey our parents. Why? Because he knew someday we would have to leave our parents. We're supposed to come out from under their authority. What's interesting is he doesn't command us to love our parents. Doesn't command us to admire our parents. Doesn't command us to even trust our parents. Why not? Well, the Ten Commandments were principles that anyone can live their life by. And they're for everybody at all times. And friends, it's not going to command you to love your parents because some parents are evil. And it would be wrong for you to have an affectionate feeling towards them. Uh, the Bible's not going to command you to trust your parents because some parents are unstable. They're not trustworthy because of their own brokenness. I'm not dumping on them. I'm just saying because of their own brokenness. If it commanded you to do that, you would be a basket case. It doesn't command you to admire your parents because for some people, they would have to deny the truth in order to admire their parents. It doesn't command you to obey your parents for obvious reasons. While you're a child at home, Paul makes it clear you are to obey your parents. But as an adult, you're supposed to come out from under their authority. A relationship between a child and a parent is very complex. How you relate to them at five months old is very different than when you're 50 years old. It's a very complex relationship. But one thing that never changes, and that's why it's in the Ten Commandments, because no matter who you are, no matter who your parents are, no matter what they've done, no matter what you've done, we are commanded to honor our parents. Honor our parents. Now, it's important you distinguish between love, listen to. You know, it doesn't, notice it doesn't command you to confide in your parents. And why doesn't it do that? Because some, some parents... Share prayer requests with their friends. <laughs> Keeping confidences. Like, I, I, I promise I won't tell anyone, but, you know, your, your sister called, and I knew she'd want, you know, she, she'll keep it confidential. And this is just how it goes, how it goes. It doesn't command you to do those things, but it commands you to honor your father and your mother. And if you can't distinguish between confiding and trusting and loving and honoring, it'll kill your conscience. It'll kill your conscience. Honor is a moral choice. Honor has nothing to do with feelings. Can you turn to someone sit next to you and say it has nothing to do with feelings? Nothing to do with feelings. Honor is a moral choice. One author put it this way. He said this, honor is the unsentimental moral nucleus of your relationship with your parents. It is foundational and it is central to your relationship with your parents, but it's unsentimental. It's not like Mother's Day, which is, listen, the sappier the card, the better for a mom. It's amazing. And, and just pour the syrup on today, guys. Just love them. Gush. Make it sickening sweet. They love it. It's awesome. But honor is unsentimental. It has nothing to do with your feelings when you're honoring. It means that Everything may change in life. Your parents may have been trustworthy. Maybe they deteriorated over time. They may have been authoritarian. You're not under their authority. No matter what changes in life, though, it's a moral choice to honor your parents. It's not flowery. It's a decision. 
Honor is a decision to treat your parents with dignity and with courtesy. And it's also a decision to provide, that's an interesting word, long-term loyalty to their best interests. I think we should say that together. I'm going to move this out of the way so everyone over here can see it too. Let's, let's say it together. Honor is a decision to treat your parents with dignity and with courtesy, and it's also a decision to provide long-term loyalty to their best interests. This is critically important to being able to obey what God commands us to do. Now, I know the pushback here because there's going to be pushback from adult children and adolescent children for different reasons. Adult children hear this command and they feel like, wow, but you don't know. You have no idea how manipulative my parents can be or how controlling or how difficult they can be. And they have many great reasons why if I was to honor my parents, I'd have to listen to them. I'd have to come under their authority again or they get involved in my business again. No, that's not true. That's not true. You don't have to listen to everything they say. You don't have to confide in them but you can still treat them with respect and dignity. You can still show them a kind of loyalty. It's the same with adolescents, but they come at it a different way. Listen, I have to obey my parents right now. I have to, so I am obeying the parents. I'm keeping the command, but they can't make me respect them. They can't make me be courteous around the house. They can't make me not be sullen and cold and distant. And it's true. How are they going to discipline that out of you? But you are completely missing the point. Your obedience should flow from honor for your parents. Not out of discourtesy or disrespect or coldness or distance. But you're, while you're at home, your obedience should flow out of honor. Honor. See, friends, the Bible says that we should show loyalty, should treat them with dignity. And here's the hard part. Why? Why should you show honor to your parents? Ephesians 6.1 says, we do it because it is right. How many know right things are hard things? You know, it says in the Bible that wives are to respect their husbands. It's a command. Is that always easy? It commands husbands to love their wives. Is that always easy? Whoa, whoa. (laughs) Someone's going home alone today. (laughs) No, but here's the interesting thing. When God commands something for us, it's always the best for us and the person receiving it. Why does he do that? I've heard the argument, I'll respect my husband when he's respectable. I'll love my wife when she is lovable. I'll honor my parents when they are honorable bull. How would you like God saying, I'll forgive you when you're forgivable? Friends, we give people sometimes what they don't deserve so that his kingdom can come into that relationship and be restorative and blossom into something beautiful. There's something important when God commands something. It's not to make our lives tougher. It's to make them richer. It's to make them better. Now, it's not easy 
to honor. I'm going to end with this. I'm almost done. Here's two ways you can honor your parents. This is really, listen, if you're a child, which all of us are, this is good. You honor your parents by finding culturally appropriate ways. Why do I add this word here? Because we come from 70, 80 different nationalities in this room. Every culture shows honor a little bit differently, don't we? And friends, it's complex more than it ever has been. I've been pastoring for a long time, and I've had so many conversations with children who have been raised as Canadians, but their parents are from a different culture. I've heard parents who are angry, and I've seen kids crying in my office. Why? Because they're culturally two different tribes now. Under the same family, they look the same. The parents want them to be more this culture, but they raised them in Canada. And it's tough. These kids are Canadian, but they're trying to figure out how to do it for their parents. I add this to say this. If that's your story, you want to find a culturally appropriate way that your parents feel honored. It's not about being Canadian in that moment. It's about recognizing what their culture is and how can you honor them. So what does that look like? I don't know. It might mean remembering their birthdays. It might mean calling, even if you don't feel like it. It might mean returning some of their text messages. This is personal right now. It might mean that it's being responsible. Whatever it looks like culturally, you've got to try and figure out what it means to make your parents feel honored. It's not about whether you feel you're honoring them. Do they feel honored by you? Is this hard? At times. It's not always easy, but it's right. Finding a way to honor them. You know, because you might feel, though, and I get it, you might feel, listen, if I honor, my parents say they'll only feel honored if, if I agree with them. Or if I, come, if I come and live with them again. Or I come under their authority again. And friends, listen, you can't possibly always do that. Listen, we can't always agree with our parents. You can't always listen to them. You might have become a Christian and they're against that. You can't listen to all of that. There are ways around that. Listen, friends, you can't agree with your parents on everything unless your names are Caleb and Kenan. But one of the ways to show honor is not to argue with your parents over little, every little thing. Have you ever been there where your parents make some statements and you completely disagree and you can't let it go and you stir the anger stick up? Friends, every once in a while, we honor one another by just holding our tongue. We find culturally relevant ways to honor the people that God has placed in our lives and none more important than your parents. Then here's the next one. We honor our parents by forgiving them. Even the best of parents have made mistakes. I'll let you, those of you who are not parents, I'll let you in on a little secret. Every parent feels an element of guilt. We wish we could have done better here. We thought we could have done better there. We could have done this differently. We know it. We know it already. We wish we could take some things back we said. We wish we could take some things back we did. Here, I'm gonna tell you something that you might not know. Parenting is hard. We love you so much and we can't stand you at the same time. It's hard. 
I, I, this is all tongue in cheek. Nobody take this serious, this part. But it's this hard. It's conflicting emotions. It's difficult. It's not always easy to do. And so one of the gifts you give your parents to honor them is you forgive them. See, your parents, it's difficult for us. We're tied to you. And how you do reflects on us. It's not fair, it's not right, but we feel it. And so you know what it's like with parents? Sometimes they're overly proud and it's embarrassing. And sometimes they're overly critical and it's hurtful. And they mean both for good. It gets lost in translation sometimes. I'm not trying to let parents off the hook because I know this, we as parents need to walk towards our children and ask forgiveness too. Forgive me. I've had to do that. It's humbling to go to your teenage son and ask him to forgive you, but it's right. It's right. But I know one of the marks of maturity is that we begin to forgive our parents. Listen, your parents may not have been the model ones. You, you may have healthy parents, and so honoring your parents is an easy thing. Your parents might not be so easy. Friends, just for a moment, imagine this, though. I think every parent, no matter how good or, or limited they were in their ability to parent, they did the best they could with what they had. A lot of them had a difficult background too, and they did the best they could with what they have. So what do you do? You give them the gift of grace. You forgive them. See, we're all searching for family love, but that family love is unconditional love. Don't look to your parents to provide for you only what God can provide. And parents, don't put that weight on your children to fill that void in you when only God is the one who can fill that void in you. In Luke chapter 15, I am with this, Jesus tells a parable about a prodigal son. You know the story? He's rebellious. He wastes his whole inheritance. He scoffs at his father. He goes off. He loses it all. He's humbled. He comes crawling back. And before he can say a thing, the father sees him and pounces on him and loves him. And his son is trying to get out these words of repentance. He's not even listening to his son. He loves him so much unconditionally, no strings attached, no matter what his behavior had been, no matter what he had been up to, he was loved. And friends, God the Father provides that type of love. Human fathers and mothers do in limited capacity. We can't do it fully. There are strings attached. We don't mean them to be attached, but they're attached. But the Father in heaven provides a love that allows you to forgive your parents and allows you to love your children in a way that you can train them and instruct them. Let's pray. Father, we recognize your presence here in this moment. And God, we are so thankful that you're our father. Lord, while we give thanks for moms and dads on earth that gave us life and we need to, and it's appropriate, we recognize that we have received nothing but good from you. Every good and perfect gift has come from you. Lord, you don't intend evil for us. You intend good for us. You have plans for us, plans to prosper us, plans for a future, not to harm us, God. So Lord, we, th we are so thankful you're our Father. You daily provide for our needs. You, you give us mercy new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness, Father. And God, with that acknowledgement, God, we ask you to fill the hurts and voids of our life with your great love. And for some of us in, our room, in this room right now as children, we give you thanks for our parents. We give you thanks for a mom, maybe a dad, whoever was present in the home. Lord, thank you for the investment they made in our lives. And we forgive them for anything they may have fallen short in because, because God, they're human too. So Lord, we forgive them and we bless them now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We bless them, Lord. As children, God, I pray that you give us wisdom on how to honor our parents in a way that they feel honored, God. Give us the strength and the courage to do that. Give us the discernment of your spirit that help us to figure out ways to honor our parents, God, so they could truly feel that they are valuable. We could bring dignity to them. We could care for them well. That's our responsibility, God. And God, collectively, we just pray for all the parents that are raising kids right now. Lord, your word says if we lack wisdom, that you would give it to us. So, Lord, we ask for wisdom. We need it, God. Raising children in a world where technology is so invasive, where the culture keeps reminding us that we know nothing. God, we pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in navigating this world properly so that we can raise up our children in the knowledge of the Lord. God, protect the families in this place. Keep evil far away from them, Lord. Build into them the faithfulness, the peace, and the provision of God. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd watch over all in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.